Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, you're loving them too. It's Fletcher. And I'm on W4C. Why? Wake up, America! It's time for the adventures of Hype Man on W4CY.com, West Palm Beach's number one internet radio station. Here's your host, the Hype Man. This is the Pipe Man here on the Adventures of Pipe Man W4CY Radio, and I'm very excited because we have a pretty badass band coming on here, and I must say, there's something I'm going to talk about in the interview because I absolutely love one of their concepts, but we'll save it for the interview. Right now, I just want to welcome Sinistry. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Pipe Man? I'm doing great. So... To go on what I was saying, so I come from a time back when where if you were into thrash metal, you can be into this metal or this other metal or this other metal, or you can be into punk, and if you're into punk, you can be into metal, and you know, all the division, which I always thought was kind of ridiculous within the metal and punk community because it's like, you know, we already back then were a small community that was, you know getting harassed by other people, you would think we would have wanted to band together. But I think maybe now in 2020, we kind of finally figured it out. And that's with your music. You know, you uh, you have combined all these genres that normally would not be combined. Yeah, we, we tend to not be shy when uh, it comes to writing our music and like even as people. So like if, if we want to mix like our peanut butter with our chocolate, like we're going to go ahead and do it because <laughs> it tastes better, right? So same thing with the music. We never really wanted to become like uh, exclusive on uh, on one type of songwriting style or like one type of songwriting structure or, or genre, you know. We just wanted to, to have fun, to enjoy it. And like, we write songs for ourselves, like songs that we would enjoy hearing from another band. And you know, hopefully, like, it translates to a listening experience that people will enjoy, like, throughout, right? Like, last thing you want to do is create something and then, you know, from, like, a million people, maybe five people will like it because it's this ultra-niche, uh, <laughs> ultra-niche target market. So, yeah, you know, like, we don't paint with too broad a 
too broad a brush, but you know, we do have uh, a certain focus, but we don't really exclude anything unless it doesn't sound good within the context of the song. Yeah. And I, I have to tell you too, that, you know, I think it's different nowadays as well. Cause okay. So if you go back to the eighties and you take like thrash metal as an example, you know, every thrash metal band sounded unique. I think yeah. in 2020, Every band in a genre, because there's so many micro-genres, they all sound the same because they're supposed to be in this box of this micro-genre. Uh, and that's what I really dig about your music because it's like, no, we don't have to be in a box and we can be unique too. Awesome, thanks. Yeah, we try to uh, to avoid too many boxes. I mean, we we get asked like what type of music we are. We always say metal or say death metal, you know, like, I guess like that's those are like the overarching genres, but I don't know, like to throw like some some like ultra specific micro genre, like you said, it's not really our thing. It was like I'll listen to maybe like ten different bands that sound completely different and you know, enjoy them all. So like like we figure like why not why not be like that, you know? And most bands that like actually like made a difference or meant something like in the timeline of music are the ones that you know didn't mind or weren't afraid to take chances to and play around with with their music right so that's the thing like i don't know bands today either like follow like a, a path that's set out by like a formula that works like whether or not like uh, some metalheads would like to uh like to admit to it or not you know they follow like a formulate pattern whether it's uh in like super extreme music or something that's a bit more mainstream or something that's like a little bit more uh, for the musician themselves. And, you know, it could create like familiarity breeds content. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's true. You know, it's funny because there's this meme I saw a while back that kind of describes it all. And if you understand what the meme kind of memes in, in the respect that I understand it, then you get it. Otherwise it could be kind of deemed as a negative for old school and, positive for new school and i i view it the opposite it was this meme of it said the 1980s rock star and it showed some dude with you know long hair with a guitar in hand some alcohol in the other hand lying on the ground <laughs> and then yeah and then in the and then it showed 2020 and it showed some dude in a man bun at a at a desk at a computer with one hand on his guitar and one hand on his computer keyboard and basically programming everything in the computer. Now, see, what I get out of that, you know, what some people may get out of is, oh, they're more professional nowadays and they weren't then. And that could be true, too. But I get out of it is that the 80s rock star was being creative and expressing stuff that was in their tortured soul, so to speak, whereas today's it's like people are looking at it more like musicians are looking at it more as a business and musicians like you know the the business side of it the computer side of it the technology side of it is almost more important than the musicianship that's what mm -hmm. i get out of it yeah yeah that's one way of looking at it i'm kind of i'm kind of torn between the two viewpoints because like i did start in heavy music when was it must have been like uh 1999 so like i've been doing this for a while uh, and i'm like how old was i back then? 15 or 16 
So that gives you an idea of my age range and like the rest of the guys in the band's age range. But yeah, it was uh, like the more like 1980s style rockers. Like they did have the cool aspect and there were, there was a lot of potential for becoming a, like a legit star, like a mainstream star without compromising uh, your sound. These days, I mean, the good thing is everyone has access to a computer and, you know, given the right, the right amount of time, the right amount of resources, you could produce uh, an entire album like in your bedroom, right? Make it sound incredible. But I mean, it's all about striking the balance between like feel and, you know, actually like creating music. And I mean, everyone wants to be able to live off of their art, whether, you know, whether that means like, you know, packing a stadium or whether that means like playing the in the dive bar down the street and right now no one's playing anywhere but because of covid there but i like both aspects you know like i feel like a lot of what has been laid as a groundwork from like the 80s till now uh, we definitely build on a lot more and yeah there is a lot of copycat sounding bands maybe more now than ever but that's just because like there's more people that could produce their own music right so well that that's the good point right there because I do agree with you. I see both sides of it. The positive side I see nowadays from interviewing a lot of bands is I kind of like the fact that, you know, rockers are straight edge. There's a lot of them that are straight edge because, you know, there's that downfall of not being straight edge. You like it, you know, you take those 80s rockers who were ultra talented and then they're partying just kind of ruin that talent you know and so there's that side of it but what you just said is very true that's the part nowadays is it's like anybody can go and make music so you're right the copycatter thing is because you know it's not like okay just the cream of the crop it's like anybody and everybody it's just like in podcasting it's like there's 1.5 million podcasts out out there and like 95 percent of them suck but that's, yeah. you know, but that's, that's because that's, anybody that's can a, do it, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. yeah that's a, That's in any field, right? It's like the, the 80, 20 principle. So like, I, like I have my own business outside of, outside of the band and like 80% of your results come from 20% of your clientele Yep. and it's applied to music, right? Like 80% of the music that everyone listens to is made by 20% of the musicians that are creating music because it's always like it's always the um, I always think about the Macho Man back in uh, WWF WWE <laughs> when he was uh, being interviewed before his uh, championship match, and he told the uh, now he told the interviewer the cream always rises to the top, right? So yeah. you can have like a hundred bands, but out of those hundred bands, how many bands are actually going to get listened to? Because like they stand out for whatever reason, you know, whether it's the mus- the musicianship, whether it's the production, whether it's a gimmick. You know, you have a thousand bands, but how many are you going to actually listen to, right? Like, well, people in general. So, like, I'm okay with there being that type of thing. But on the other side, too, like you said, man, the hard partying mentality and lifestyle, that was uh, not the best course of action for a lot of people. Oh, no doubt. And as somebody myself who basically lived on the Sunset Strip during the height of it, we have a joke. If you remember the Sunset Strip, you weren't there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i don't remember it but i know i was never there so, <laughs> so and i i do have to mention speaking of geographics 
you're in one of my favorite towns in the world. Like I love Montreal, and I I actually funny experience because I'm also a big hockey person. So I was I used to have second row blue line for the Devils. I was a huge Devils fan when Jacques LeBaire was the coach. And mm-hmm. uh, anytime I talk to somebody from Montreal, I tell this story because it's like, you know, in New Jersey, if you're a Devils fan, you're not actually the most popular. It's like you have people in New Jersey are Devils fans, Rangers fans, Flyers fans, or Islanders fans, you know? And it's like, I don't know, to me, you should be the Jersey team fan, but you're not, you know? And they were the newer one. So... You know, I would always catch flack for wearing my Devils stuff. But then when I went up to Montreal and I was wearing a Devils ski jacket, I was in this bar and, like, I was the most popular dude in the bar because I had a Devils uh, uh, ski jacket on because everybody lo- loved Jacques Lemaire and they loved, you know, the Devils hockey at that time. And I was like, wow, I had to go to a different country to find more fans. <laughs> yeah, it's... uh. Montreal is a bit weird like that. Well, not weird, but like we're more uh, open and accepting depending on, um, I guess, if you have like a homeboy uh, representing in uh, in whatever it is uh, that they're doing, even if it's outside of the Montreal, like Montreal-centric, right? So, yeah, it's uh, it's a good place, Montreal. I mean, I'm, I'm very, I think I'm very fortunate to have like been born and raised here. So, I don't know. It's just so much, so much, mul- well, it's multicultural here there's a lot of a lot of different things like good there's good and bad like in any other place but especially with music it's uh it's a pretty music heavy town so <laughs> yeah uh, to me as somebody that was born in new york grew up in jersey i remember going to montreal and thinking like this is what new york used to be like you know which is a huge compliment you know at the time yeah i'll, I'll take that compliment i mean new york is the capital of the world basically so yeah, and, and what I found when I get, went to one, Montreal is it was, like, cleaner and safer than New York was at the time. You know, but, of course, New York 20 years before that, that's what I what my benchmark was. I'm like, well, Montreal is kind of like what New York was 20 years before that when I went. And it is. It's such a diverse, cool town. And, uh, you know, those malls that are underground, that, they're pretty badass, too. You know, I... I yeah, have, or- I actually walked all 12 malls one day just to check it out. And it was freezing above ground anyway, so no reason to be above ground. <laughs> yeah, no. there's a lot of times when uh, when we want to just go underneath, uh, underneath the city and, uh, and walk around. There's a lot to see, man, in there like, like you've seen uh, yourself. But it's, uh, it's a trip down there. I, don't even, like, I didn't even know about it until I was like, probably like tail end of high school. And my friends were like, oh, let's go to the mall. I'm like, what the hell is there a mall downtown? <laughs> like, what are you guys talking about? They're looking at me like I'm crazy. And they're like, yeah, Jimmy, it's, it's under the ground. I'm like, it's under the ground. Okay, cool. And then they took me on like this trip. And I was like, what the fuck is this? You know, like it's an entire city down here. And they're like, okay, you've been under a rock? I told them clearly not because I haven't seen the underground mall. But... <laughs> It's, it is it is funny because, like, I went down, somebody told me about it when I was there. I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. And it was, like, never ending. Like, I was just walking through to check it out. And it was like, I don't know. I, I think I walked the whole city of Montreal and didn't even know it. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of corridors, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no doubt. So I, I want to bring up something funny. Okay, so we were talking before the interview like about your band name because I never like to butcher band names, and it's always funny. Yep. Every band I talk to, no matter how easy it is to say the band name, people like just come up with the weirdest names. But I'm not going to focus on that. What I want to focus mm -hmm. is on your name because I, I just think it's pretty funny, okay? So the first thing I saw when the thing came up, I was like, Man, is he related to Jennifer? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my cousin, actually. Is, is it really? No, no. I no, know. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, how many times do you get that from people, and how annoying is that? <laughs> I think I get that probably at least once or twice a month. That's Mostly they're trying to either, like, poke fun at me or they're trying to just pull my leg a little bit. But some people are actually... <laughs> Some people actually like I play around with after the fact. I'm like, no, I can get you her autograph. You know, if you want me to get you to slide into her DMs or something, you know, so, or I don't know. I like to play around. Yeah, have <laughs> I I imagine so many people are like, oh, can you introduce me to her? Or oh, can you get me an autograph? Or or crap like that. And I'm just like, I'm just thinking. I could totally see some people doing that. And so not my thing. That's why I'm laughing about it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no relation, no relation. That's, that's like my last name's Piper. And can I tell you, you were speaking about uh, Randy Savage, you know, Macho Man. Can I tell you how many times it happens to me? In fact, it just happened like two days ago. Oh, are you related to Rowdy Rodney Piper? Like, <sighs> come on. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, his actual last name is Toombs, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, okay, so it's like the other thing when people say, oh, you're from New York. Do you know uh, Joe uh, Blaza Blue Boo? <laughs> you know, I'll make up a name, you know. It's like, oh, yes, because I live in New York. I must know everybody. I, cause I, well, I'm not there now, but I'm like, because I'm from New York, I must know everybody in New York. And, you know. Like, people do that stuff all the time. It just makes me laugh. Like, no matter where you're from, they're like, oh, do you know so-and-so? It's like everybody has a friend where you live, and you, you must you must know them. Must know them. Yeah, if, if you and I know each other, you must know them, right? So, <laughs> it's a strange way, I guess, of, like, humans always, like, trying to find commonality. And, like, the first thing that they try to to, like, find commonality with is, like, people that like they know that maybe you know from, uh, from a place you've been to or lived at you know so yeah I, I saw it's like one of those that's one of those like funny like non-threatening human behaviors that you just gotta laugh <laughs> at i do it too man i do it too yeah of oh, course very like if you've been there then you must know this person they're looking like <laughs> crazy yeah exactly. you know what <laughs> so uh your upcoming ep civilization's coma I feel yeah. we're living that right now for sure. <laughs> Big time. So Big time. tell us about the EP and about all, I know you're planning to release a slew of material in the coming year. So let's talk about all that. All right, cool. Right now, the first single from Civilization's Poma is on uh, all the streaming sites. So Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, Apple, whatever there is out there, it's on it. It's called Dead to Me. Uh, we have a lyric video on uh, YouTube as well at uh, youtube.com slash the synastry. And you, know, you can find uh, on all of our social media, like Instagram, Facebook, you can find the song basically and the video. Uh, 
we came up with a certain concept, like lyrically. Um, when I say we, I mean me, but like lyrically, it came up with like a certain idea. And we all wrote songs reflecting the idea, kind of like to take a look at what was kind of going on in the world and where like we were going. And it just so happened that like COVID hit uh, right before we had, or right as we had finished tracking. So like all the mixing and mastering was uh, was ready to go. Like we didn't have to go anywhere to do that. They already had the, the songs recorded. And we're, we're just decided to release, instead of releasing an album in one shot, we decided to release it in um, over the course of a few EPs and then eventually a full length afterwards. So there are three songs on the EP. The EP is uh, going to be available everywhere November 27th. Like I said, it's called Civilization's Poma. There's uh, the current single Dead to Me is on there, the title track Civilization's Poma, and uh, the third track is called Narcomancy. So we uh, we worked with like the cream of the crop in uh, in Montreal as far as producers go. So we had tracking done by JF Dagenet from Cataclysm. He did the drums, guitar, and bass. I recorded my vocals with Chris Donaldson from Cryptopsy in Grid Studios. He also did did a couple of uh, edits here and there on like some other like little technical stuff with the drums and stuff. And we did because we do use a lot of samples too and in this round of songs, and we recorded those with Kevin Jardine at Uplift Productions, who's also the guitarist of Slaves on Dope, who uh, recently did a really cool cover of Faith No More's uh, We Care A Lot with Mastodon and uh, Filter. Anyways, that's, uh, you can check that out too. Um, and then JF Dagenet mixed everything together, and we got it mastered by Jeff Fortin at, uh, from Anonymous. So we tried to get as many hands in it as we thought we had musical influences going into writing and uh, creating the songs, and uh, we were very happy with it. That's great. That's amazing. And, you know, it's funny you're bringing up about the EP thing. Going back to history, like way back when, you know, bands would put out an EP when they're first coming out, and mm-hmm. kind of the EP thing went away for a while, and it seems like yeah. now that that's the popular thing now, the EP, it, you know, it... You're doing it, but so many others I know of are doing it. I think it's a brilliant move with today's attention span society, you know, because I think it's a better way to get people to hear all your songs, you know, uh, because they're not the same type of people that used to sit and listen to an album cover to cover like they used to. Yeah, back even like like 10 years ago, it was maybe more the industry standard to kind of release an album with like maybe 12 songs or 10 songs or whatever it is and just like one shot it. But now like music consumption has changed so much, even like from five, five years ago, 10, like, you know, let's say like a decade's worth of, of time has passed, like physical copies. Like there are a few people that are like still dedicated to physical copy. And I can understand why, whether it's a CD or if it's something like niche and a collectible, like vinyl, like those are still cool and they're available, but, the 80 20 thing like i mentioned before it's a vast majority of the market is listening to music on their phone you know streaming it off of something they're watching it on youtube and it's not necessarily that you're going to sit there and listen to an entire album you know like people want like fast fast little snippets of everything so it could be sinistry for like one song it could be like band x for another song band y for another song you know yeah there's it's not that it's there's anything 
maybe wrong with that. It's just that we're moving away from a different way of like a model of consumption. So, you know, artists need to need to change with uh, with the times and like the, the biggest enemy that that anyone has, whether they're an artist, whether they're in business, whether they're in uh, the government, it's the times. The yeah. times always change and you'll never be able, to, you can maybe keep up with the times, but you'll never be ahead of the times. Once you're ahead of the times, then people look at you like you're nuts, Elon Musk, right? So, <laughs> but that, yeah. That was me That's, too when I started my radio stations. You know, podcasting wasn't even a word back then, number one. Number two, we didn't have cell phones. Well, we did have cell phones. We didn't have smartphones. We didn't have, you know, very little internet radio. And and it's like, I remember telling people, oh, you're going to be listening to internet radio in your cars, on your phones, all this. And people like look at me like, you're out of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. There is a lot of that. Like we, when um, previously, like I think it was in 2007 or something like that, I was talking friend of mine and he's like man you know like hmv which is a music store here in canada which actually i don't think exists anymore he's like man people are going to be going into the music stores instead of buying physical copies of anything they're just going to walk in with a usb stick and they're going to download it on the usb stick but like even that step like even that was like so short-sighted or so nearsighted right because like even the usb stick like who the hell uses a usb stick but music right it it's going to go straight onto your phone from like something in the cloud or like some sort of server that like that streams or streams your uh, your content to your phone directly right so yeah it's what it's wild things wild, man. things wild. just keep changing quicker and quicker nowadays too it's like you know you just look at the evolution of music in my lifetime cuz i'm 54 in my lifetime i've had reel to reel 8 track cassette you know, obviously albums, 33s, uh, 78s, 45s, and, uh, you know, CDs, and, and then, you know, MP3 and Waves. So it's like, yeah. it's amazing just in my lifetime how many transitions there's been in the music industry. Yeah, yeah. And every time they need to, uh, every time the industry needs to shift, like any other industry, the... The frontline people who are the musicians in this case always either gripe about it and eventually adopt it or they adopt it quickly and they could get ahead of the curve right so well perfect example of that is uh you know it seems like forever ago that lars from metallica was complaining about napster and then yeah and now metallica is doing live streams <laughs> Yeah, well, everything changes, right? I mean, he was complaining about the Napster thing when um, when they used the tape trading thing back in uh, the Bay Area. Like, yep. Really get known, but I mean, like, I can't, like, I can't uh, fault him for that. You know, like that cut the Napster thing cut into the revenue of of the music industry, and whether like people want to admit it or not, we're in an industry, and that hurts, man. When your bottom line is cut from whatever it is, whether or not you you have a house, like you have a mansion or whatever, you still have to pay the mortgage on the fucking mansion, whether yeah. or not you own it, right? Like you have a whole bunch of shit that people don't realize that Metallica or any band like that, that scope has to pay for. And yeah, okay, Napster is cool. It cut into their profits. The guy went on, griped a bit. Now he's doing live streams. I mean, eh, YouTube is monetizing or whatever platform he's using to uh, do the live stream is for sure monetizing those streams like nothing comes for free yeah 
So, well, I mean, that's probably why he's live streaming now. So, like you were saying, you have you have to assimilate, or you're gonna die. You know, basically. Yeah. And you know, the cool thing is, though, you know, it's funny you brought up the tape trading because I was part of that whole scenario. I think the whole difference between the tape trading and the Napster thing was, is the mm-hmm. tape trading was, you weren't there yet, you know, and metal was underground. It wasn't played on the radio at all, you know, at least the ones that you want, like Metallica and Slayer and stuff, and Possessed yeah. and Dark Angel, you know, none of that stuff was ever on the radio. And so the only way you really, your band got noticed by people was the tape trading and if it weren't for tape trading, we probably wouldn't have Metallica today. Uh, so, but the other hand is the the Napster thing was people just basically stealing crap, you know. And, yeah, and town, uh... that's the problem I have with it. You know, the Napsters, the LimeWires of the world, and I actually get into arguments with people even in the radio business, you know. Because in my radio station, we we pay all ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, Sound Exchange, you know, mm-hmm. all those people, and we pay the royalties and stuff. And there's so many people I know in my business that are not doing that anymore, and even uh, though it's illegal. And yeah. forget the illegal part. I'm like, I'll say something, and they're like, well, they should just let us play it. And my answer to them is, do you work for free? Because that's what you're yeah. asking them to do, you know, and you're, you're so right on what you said. People don't realize they just they look at musicians and they're thinking, you know, whatever they're thinking negatively. But at the end of the day, you still have a family to support. You still have to pay your bills. You still have to pay a car payment, still have to pay a mortgage, you know, and this yep. is your job. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, once once people I don't know, I think there's there's like a weird I don't know if I'm using the word right, but I guess dichotomy when like you look at how musicians view themselves and then view their fans and how fans view musicians, right? So like there's a set, like I'll be honest about it. Like and I, this is something I believe and anyone who wants to challenge me on it, feel free to. But I think there's a sense of entitlement that goes both ways. Like a musician has a sense of entitlement as a musician and a listener has a sense of entitlement as a listener where they're, you know, a listener would say, well, I want to listen to the band. The exposure is, uh, it's worth it. Oh, they have money or the, look, they've released like, I don't know how many albums or how much content and whatever. Okay. Well, you're seeing it from your point of view where, and then a musician sees it as, wow, I'm working my ass off. I'm writing all this stuff. Uh, I'm grinding like, uh, like an asshole. Where, where the hell's my, uh, where the hell's my payback? Right. So I don't know, man. Like I, I, I feel you on the Napster thing. Like we were we were stealing back then. I was a sixteen year old kid or fifteen or however old I was back then, and like <laughs> I would I used Napster. You know, I'm not gonna, well, you know, I can get publicly flogged for that. But we all we all use Napster. You know, and it did help me discover bands that I never would have uh, discovered without Napster. You know, like a lot of uh, Swedish death metal. I, I discovered in that like actually put me on. Um, I guess on the track that I'm now, because like bands like In Flames or Soil Work or Arch Enemy were like very difficult to come about like a Canadian music store. So we had like we had like Slipknot and like, mostly American metal stuff, but right like the stuff that like really impacted me as uh, as a musician, I wouldn't have found without Napster. Which well, see, I like cute. that. I I like that input, getting that other side of the input because. 
You know, what you just said makes a lot of sense because back in the day, you know, and I'm not even talking back in the 80s, but I'm talking about when you were a teenager, you know, it wa- it wasn't the same to get albums. Like before that, you could get import albums from Sweden or whatever. But then as records became less popular and record stores became less popular, it became yep. harder to do. So that makes I, I never even thought of that perspective, what you just put out there. So I'm glad you put it out there because it does make sense. And now that what you just said ties definitely into the tape trading thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like that's I don't know, I guess like that was my generation's version of tape trading because like everyone yeah. that was either in my high school or whatever and we were all like coming up with with like musical projects or ideas or just starting bands or whatever it was we were all like hey did you download that uh that thing off of napster this week or whatever yeah it took me like three days to download it but whatever you know because we're all rocking the 56k modems or whatever that (laughs) was back then so yeah it was uh, it was a gateway for for a lot of people that generation to like get into like stuff that maybe they didn't know about or could even find you know for that matter like there was i remember i got into power man 5000 because of napster and it was so weird like i would see them play on uh, like our version of mtv which is much music i loved much music i liked it much better than mtv yeah, well, I mean, if they play, if either of those channels play music videos anymore, I'm not sure. But, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reality TV. Yeah. yeah, much music was, to me, I liked it better because it played a lot more metal than MTV did. MTV only got metal when it was Headbangers Ball, but much music, it seemed like it was all the time. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely more more often than uh, MTV, but... Yeah, I would watch uh, much music, and I saw Power Man Five Thousand. I was like, "Oh, these guys are uh, pretty cool." And then, like, I would go to the store and I'd ask them. They'd look at me like I was crazy, like, "What the hell is Power Man Power Man Five <laughs> And <laughs> fuck, I really want to get this album. Like, what the hell, man? And like, I thought to myself, even afterwards, like after the fact, like I went on Napster, I downloaded their their songs, you know, and, like I got really into it. And I thought to myself, man, this guy is Rob Zombie's brother or whatever. And this guy's not even in the fucking stores here in Canada. Like, what the hell is this? Wow. So, yeah. Like, I mean, there's bottom line, they like people, like all of us stole using Napster, but there were some like tertiary benefits of, of the service. But yeah, it's better now that, that they're streaming and that streaming has like a revenue stream literally for, for the artists in, uh, you know, yeah, like, directly. So, well, I think yeah, about it, too, okay? So now that you're putting in the perspective, I'm thinking, well, maybe I am kind of an asshole because... I was, no, because no, no. No, I'm saying I was making a big deal about Napster and LimeWire, you know, and I was back then, too. But when mm-hmm. I was a teenager, I was taping shit off the radio and, and at concerts, and, you know, and you didn't have to buy the album because you could tape it. <laughs> yeah. So... It really isn't any different, I mean, to be honest, and think about it that way. Yeah, every every format has their version of piracy or theft or whatever you want to call it, right? Like if something exists, there's there can, there can be theoretically a way to steal it. Yeah. You know, like whether it's physical or digital or whatever the hell uh, the medium is and whatever the product is, like anything in the world that exists can be stolen. So. No doubt. 
So tell everybody how they can uh, reach you guys on social media, check out your music, and get your new music when it drops, and anything else you want them to know in that respect. Yeah, so uh, like I mentioned on um, like earlier in the interview, we have uh, all, like, all of our social media up and running. Our YouTube is uh, www.youtube.com slash The Sinistry. So just The Sinistry. Facebook is um, Facebook is uh, facebook.com slash Sinistry MTL. And MTL for Montreal, MTL for metal, however you want to take it. Our Instagram is instagram.com or just at Sinistry underscore MTL. Our Twitter is uh, twitter.com or just Twitter or just at uh, Sinistry MTL, no underscore on that one. So uh, that's our social media. And we also have a band camp as well, sinistry.bandcamp.com. That's our social media in a nutshell. We we are actually very uh, receptive and uh, quick to, to answer back. It's one thing like we're proud, we pride ourselves as a band. We We cherish fan interactions, especially in this day and age, man, like, we were on hiatus for a decade, and then we decided to to reform and record, and then COVID hits. So we've been uh, we've been holed up, and because of that, I mean, even more because of that, we uh, we're always there to like speak with people, you know, talk to our fans, answer questions. Uh, you know, we're available is basically what I'm trying to say. So, all right, cool. Who knows? If we get enough requests, maybe we'll do an OnlyFans, but I don't know about that. <laughs> Uh, are there any bands that are doing OnlyFans, or is it just for the you know female? I know. <laughs> I think I think Franzilla from Attila has uh, OnlyFans. Actually, I think I know a couple female artists and actor art uh, females that have OnlyFans. So there you go. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Listen, you got to monetize, right? Like whatever you got to do, you know, you got to pay the bills, especially during COVID times. God, man, yeah, we've been, uh, we like, I mean, we were fortunate enough that, like, our uh, our jobs and careers outside of Sinistry uh, are able to be done remotely. So, like, um, I had recently, like, changed my business model for my business to, like, a different type of uh, way of working. I'm in finance, so, like, I used to be another firm, and then I started my own thing. And that was like right at the tail end of 2019. I was like, okay, perfect. So now I know exactly what I'm going to do and how I'm going to work for the rest of, uh, you know, foreseeable future. So from January to March, I was working a certain way. And then beginning of March, it's like, okay, well, now you have to stay home indefinitely. And I'm an essential worker, I guess. That's what they they deemed me. So like, okay, well, I have no entitlement to anything. uh, So I got to keep working. And luckily we like, Myself and um, and the three other guys were all able to uh, to keep working from home, so you know at least uh, pays the bills a little bit on um, the stuff the music doesn't pull through for, right? So we can't do any touring, we can't do any pop up shows or anything like that. So I said screw it, gotta work from home. There you forever. go. Gotta do what you gotta do. I don't fault anyone for uh, taking the extra step for like an OnlyFans or God knows what else. So. <laughs> exactly. All right, so any final words you have for our listeners here? Just uh, keep it metal, have fun, don't take life too seriously, we don't get out alive, and uh, that's it, be good to each other. All right, perfect. I love it, love your music, and I implore our listeners to check you out, and they'll love it too. 
Thanks, man. I appreciate that. We all do. Thank you for listening to the Adventures of Pipe Man on W4CY Radio.